Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Happy New Year, everybody. It's the first week of the 2024 sports calendar, and even though football season may be over, and even though our bet of blue Gatorade at the Super Bowl dunking Andy Reid did not cash, we are still giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you head to Bet Online Sportsbook with the link in the description to this episode and use our promo code BELIEVE. Use that 50% welcome bonus to bet on basketball. Maybe you're into the pro, maybe you're into the college, maybe you're into Caitlin Clark setting the all-time scoring record in the history of college basketball. However you choose to bet, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast and podcasts aren't live it's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing we can listen however and whenever it is that you so choose and we appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you might be listening to this fine fun filled take it easy podcast thing that we do on a fantabulous wednesday february 28th according to my count it may not be that according to your count But we still appreciate you stopping in, however and whenever you might be listening. We've got a fun-filled episode planned for you today because one of the most popular podcast episodes that we have ever done on this year Take It Easy podcast was called, last year, The Boston Celtics Are Not a Failure. And when we were talking about how the Boston Celtics are not a failure, one of the things that we articulated was that the Boston Celtics who last year had the number one offensive rating in the NBA, number one net rating in the NBA, the season after they came within two games of winning the NBA Finals, those Boston Celtics teams were consistently top two in the sport, top three team in the sport, and they have consistently performed at the level of a top two and top three team in the sport, despite the fact that most of us would probably agree The Boston Celtics have not had a player in the NBA who is a top five NBA superstar in the previous two seasons. And two seasons is the first step along a line of four different cores of the Boston Celtics who have made it to a conference final within the last eight seasons. And so one of the things that I articulated is that, yes, the Boston Celtics have not won a championship, and also the Boston Celtics have accomplished more over eight seasons than many NBA franchises who have won championships. Looking at you, Toronto Raptors, 
The Toronto Raptors did not make it back to a conference final before or after their championship season of 2019, and I'd argue what the Boston Celtics have done going from core to core to core to core over and over four different times in seven years and getting to the conference finals every single time is incredibly impressive. One of the most impressive things we've seen in the NBA, and we should not view the Boston Celtics within the prism of a failure. I just spark notes to 50-minute podcasts that I just regarded as one of the most popular in the history of the Take It Easy podcast. I bring all of that up to say, today on the show, we are going to follow up on that podcast that we recorded last June after the Boston Celtics lost in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat. A series in which they were down three games to zero, came back from down three games to zero, including that incredible Derek White tip-in in Game 6 winner in Miami that looked like it was going to be a moment that would live through all of NBA history, a tip-in that forced a Game 7 in in an Eastern Conference Finals that might have decided the NBA champion. And then it didn't end up mattering in the end because Miami came out and stomped on the Boston Celtics in Game 7, despite the fact, you know, adding fuel to the fire, Jason Tatum injured his ankle and was basically ineffective from the fourth quarter, or from the first play of the game onward. The first play of the game was when Jason Tatum rolled up on his ankle. And they lost, uh, obviously, to the Miami Heat. But I bring this up eight months later because we've talked about the Boston Celtics when it comes to the moves that they have made. We did a whole podcast on the Kristaps Porzingis trade, how they originally wanted to flip Malcolm Brogdon in exchange for getting Porzingis, and what they ended up having to do was flip Malcolm Brogdon in exchange for, I'm sorry, after the Clippers were the third team in the deal backed out of the deal, they had to then turn around and trade Marcus Smart to the Memphis Grizzlies for what was essentially two first-round picks, and then they were able to get Porzingis in exchange for Gallinari and some draft picks and really underpaid for what Porzingis was worth. But they did have to give up Marcus Smott as part of the deal to kind of even things out. And what I thought was so interesting about that trade at the time and in hindsight, what I think is so interesting is the Boston Celtics added a fringe all-star in exchange for a player who at the time was regarded as a fringe all-star. When we talk about Marcus Smart, we regard him as a fringe all-star in the same way we thought of Porzingis. In the podcast that we did following the Porzingis trade, which I believe, if I remember correctly, was in, uh, I want to say July, the podcast that we did on Kristaps Porzingis, we talked about how Porzingis is in this really unique position where he is maybe a better player than Marcus Smart, but because of everything Marcus Smart was bringing to the Boston Celtics, there was a chance that I looked at that trade and thought, you know, I'm not actually sure that the Boston Celtics get better as a result of this deal. And that's kind of crazy to stop and think about because... Kristaps Porzingis 
is a few is a seven foot four power forward who can block shots and shoot three pointers and has made an all star team in his NBA career and injuries is predominantly the reason why he hasn't blossomed into a perennial all-star in the NBA, especially in a weak Eastern Conference and playing alongside Luka Doncic and all the things of Porzingis is. Also, there's been some weird, like locker room fit issues with Porzingis if you followed some of the the whisperings around the NBA circles but what's so interesting is that they added Porzingis in exchange for Marcus Smart and I was like I feel like that deal is kind of a wash and in hindsight I think part of the reason we were so big on Marcus Smart was that we were seeing him play in the playoffs all the time and when you see a player play in the playoffs all the time you become familiar with their game and when you feel like you have a better understanding of their game you stop and think, oh, hey, this team actually does have something to work with here. Best case in point, the Dallas Mavericks took on Grant Williams, and I thought the Celtics were crazy for letting Grant Williams walk at the time they did. And lo and behold, the Mavericks got sick of Grant Williams within like six months and had to attach a first-round pick to trade him to the Charlotte Hornets in a trade that I don't even think got them the better player. I think Grant Williams is a better player than P.J. Washington, but they got P.J. Washington out of that deal because they just really really, really didn't like Grant Williams, and they moved off of Grant Williams, the Celtics did, and they moved off of Marcus Smot. They even got some draft capital back out of the whole ordeal in giving up Marcus Smot and giving up uh, giving up Smot, giving up Gallinari, uh, and, and getting back Porzingis, and then later giving up Grant Williams in a deal that got some second-round picks in the door from the aforementioned Dallas Mavericks. They moved on from both of those players and were essentially changing their rotation and changing the style of the offense that they were playing. And it looked like they were flex they were giving up some of that bench depth that they had had for the past 2 years with the number 1 offense in the NBA in 2000 the number 1 defense in the 2022 season and the number 1 offense in the 2023 season. A team that as presently constructed with a core that was Tatum Brown, Smot, Al Horford, Grant Williams. Uh, they eventually would get Malcolm Brogdon the second year, but Robert Williams. Uh, who did I miss there? Tatum, Brown, Smot, Horford, uh, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, uh, Derek White. That's the last person I was forgetting. Add Derek White in there. And the Celtics were essentially running an eight-man deep team that could defend at the best level in the league and a year later score with the best efficiency of any team in the NBA. And they were consistently one of the two or three best teams in the NBA and were backing up the assertion that Jason Tatum, who has you know, never been the top five player in the league at any time of his stage, but has always been in that kind of second tier of superstar, they were backing up the assertion that if you give Jason Tatum a very, very good situation, he can be the best player on a team that wins a championship. And he came within two games of winning a championship on a team that around him had the number one defense in the NBA during the 2022 season. Large part of that was due to Robert Williams. Robert Williams got hurt and uh, Jason Tatum was battling some injuries in that finals against the Warriors. But the Celtics had this 8-9 deep team, strength in numbers, that was playing elite level defense and elite-level offense in two consecutive seasons. And in the offseason, they said, we're going to give up some of that pe- some of that depth. We're going to give up some of these pieces, namely Marcus Smart and 
Grant Williams and Danilo Gallinari, although Gallinari never played a game for the Celtics because he tore his Achilles playing for uh, the Italian national team, I want to say. But we're going to give up two of those eight players in the core. Or I guess really we could say three because they traded Grant Williams later. We're going to get rid of Grant Williams and Marcus Smot. And we're going to add Kristaps Porzingis. Not an all-star, but a player who gives a different dimension than Marcus Smart and Grant Williams. Even though we think Marcus Smart and Grant Williams are both, at the very least, Marcus Smart a top 50 player in the NBA, and Grant Williams may be a top 100 player in the NBA. Like, two players who were very instrumental to deep playoff runs for the Celtics. We feel we have the depth to move off of both of those pieces, plus Gallinari. Plus, I think O'Shea Brissett was in one of those deals or whatever. You know, some some deeper on the bench guys. But we're going to move off of these players. And we're going to be able to be okay. And at the time, I was kind of up in the air on both. Like, I don't feel like the move makes the Celtics better or worse. Like, what Marcus Smott was doing for that team, I feel like makes it so that he was their third best player. And yes, they're giving him up. But they're getting a third best player in Porzingis that probably has a higher ceiling than Marcus Smott. And the Celtics going into this year, I kind of looked at like, yeah, it could be the Bucks, it could be the Heat, it could be the Celtics, it could be the 76ers in the East, and all of them are still chasing Denver in the West. And that was before James Harden got traded to the Clippers, and the Clippers are starting to look like a team that immediately could contend for the finals because they have one of the 10 best players in the NBA and a two-time finals MVP in Kawhi Leonard, who is at his lowest usage rate at any point of his career. And so I looked at the Celtics being like kind of in the mix of the group there, same as they were last year. Went to seven games with the Sixers, went to seven games with the Heat, uh, probably would have gone seven games with the Bucks. You know, all four of those teams were still in about the same mix. And that was the thing that we talked about uh, in June when the Kristaps Porzingis trade went down, less than a month after we talked about the podcast we, we mentioned on June 1st that was all about why the Boston Celtics are not a failure. And then the Damian Lillard trade happened. I think we waited like 10 days to talk about the Lillard trade too. We were just so swamped with content at that point. We just totally skipped the Damian Lillard portion of the proceedings on this podcast. But Damian Lillard got traded to the Milwaukee Bucks. Drew Holiday got sent out to Portland. And Portland made it clear that they were going to move off of Drew Holiday within four days and work with him to find a contending team that would make it worth their while. And the Boston Celtics were like, not only are we willing to give up our depth to add Kristaps Portazingis into the mix, we're willing to completely gut our depth and give up our draft capital in order to acquire Drew Holiday and create a big four that would be the deepest and best big four of any team in the NBA. We're going to go from being eight deep to being a team that is completely star dependent. And we'll figure out the rest with the bench later. And so the Celtics ended up without giving up their own first round pick. Mind you, they still got to keep their own future first round pick. They traded two firsts, 
Robert Williams, who was a foundational piece of what they were trying to do, they traded him to... They traded Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon to Portland and two future first-round picks in exchange for Marcus Smart. I'm sorry, for Drew Holiday. Why, why did I say I just like saying Marcus Smart. For some reason, I just really like saying Marcus Smart. But they ended up trading these picks, one of which is the Golden State Warriors first-round pick, top four protected, but they gave up the Golden State Warriors first-round pick, which right now would be in the lottery. So they gave up a potential lottery draft pick and multiple and multiple core pieces of their team, and they, got, they gave up an unprotected 2029 first-round pick, which you know the, I think the Blazers are kind of banking on that pick being more flexible for them when they want to trade for a star down the road instead of them actually using the pick. But who knows? Maybe they just sit on that draft pick and wait for it to go. Um, the Celtics, while still maintaining their own first-round pick in 2025, 2024, and 2026, which means they can still trade all of those draft picks at draft day or otherwise— the Celtics were able to take this bonus draft pick that they got in the Marcus Smot trade and in exchange flip it for Drew Holiday. So now you look up and they've moved on from four of their core pieces from the eight-man core of last year for Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis, only having to give up one of their own future first-round picks. And it looks like the Boston Celtics are about to run the league into the ground as they go into the NBA playoffs because they are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And in a gluttonous mass of teams in the West, which we are, which we talked about on Monday's episode of the podcast, if you want to go check out the Take It Easy podcast we did talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder, Boston Celtics look like they about to win. Uh, they are about to prove me wrong. When I said in our June 1st, 2023 podcast, the Boston Celtics are not a failure, they're about to prove me wrong when I said the Boston Celtics' best chance to win a championship has probably passed them by. Because the Boston Celtics, last season, when they had the number one offensive rating in the NBA, they were at 118.0 in the offensive rating, made all the moves they did this offseason, and their offensive rating increased 4.2 points to 122.2, the highest offensive rating in the history of the NBA. Last year, they were the best team in the NBA with a 6.5 net rating, and this year they have a 10.5. net rating. Last year, they were number one at 6.5 in the regular season, came within one game of the finals with a 6.5 net rating, and this year, they're up to 10.4 on the net rating. And all of a sudden, you look up, and the Boston Celtics have just somehow extended their championship window by going all-in on All-Stars instead of the eight, nine-man depth team that they were building with before. And the Boston Celtics are completely proving me wrong because now they've just siphoned value away from the Washington Wizards who are rebuilding, and they gave up Marcus Smart, and the Grizzlies were able to trade a future lottery draft pick to acquire Marcus Smart in the three-team deal that they did. Boston was able to get Porzingis and a future lottery pick, in exchange for Marcus Smart, and 
they were able to simultaneously weaken their biggest competition in the Milwaukee Bucks because adding Drew Holiday over Damian Lillard seems to be a tremendous success for the Boston Celtics. The the Bucks' willingness to give up on Drew Holiday for Damian Lillard seems to have worked out tremendously in favor of Boston because Boston's offensive rating is now the highest in the history of the sport. And oh, by the way, the Milwaukee Bucks are now a bottom half defensive team in the NBA. And even if it still comes down to Milwaukee versus Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals, which is what we all prognosticated when the Damian Lillard trade went down, it's between Boston and it's between Milwaukee. Well, now we have the results in hand that the one Portland Trailblazers probably could have gotten extra first round pick for Drew Holiday. And secondarily, the Boston Celtics, who gave up half of their rotation players from a team that went to the NBA Finals two years ago and came within one game of the Conference Finals last year, having the foresight to give up half of their rotation players by trading away Grant Williams, trading away Marcus Smott, trading away Robert Williams, trading away Malcolm Brogdon, giving up four of their eight rotation players in exchange for two all-star caliber players in, in Drew Holiday and Christoph Porzingis, giving up their, if, if my math is correct, their third best player, their fifth best player, their sixth best player, and their seventh best player from the last few years, seems to have worked out tremendously well for the Boston Celtics. Despite the fact that their depth is one of their weakest, like their, their depth is a legitimate problem. Like they are going with Sam Hausers and Peyton Pritchards and uh, Luke Cornett's. Like, they, they do genuinely have a depth problem, and I was surprised that they weren't willing to part with a couple of those draft picks, or maybe a future first to make one move at the trade deadline, although I don't know how they would have matched the salaries, given that they don't really want to get rid of any of those uh, six players being Tatum, Brown, Holiday, Porzingis, Horford, and... and Derek White, I don't think they really want to part with anyone else in that rotation. Maybe Pritchard, Hauser, Cornette would be flexible, but you know, that's about it in terms of like players they trust down the line. But the thing that's interesting is that when the they have built a team that will succeed in the playoffs. Like without question, they have built a team that will succeed in the playoffs. From this point going forward, they have built a team that's gonna succeed in the playoffs probably going to win the Eastern Conference. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. Like, I think Milwaukee is still very good, and having Damian Lillard in the playoffs is going to be tremendously helpful for them. I don't think it's going to help them. I don't think it's going to help them get through the the playoffs here. And Oh, by the way, they still have two draft picks coming up this... They still have two draft picks coming up in this year's NBA draft which is hilarious to think about. Hilarious to think about how the Boston Celtics are going to have two more draft picks to replenish some of that depth and, by the way, have their first-round pick in 2025, which they want to trade if they decide the right move is available for them to go into the luxury tax. Oh, by the way, just stopping and pausing, they have every single one of their own future draft picks through 2027 that they can trade or pick swap because they have a 2028 pick swap on the Spurs with uh, the the trade for Derek White. They gave up their 2029 first to the Blazers. They can trade every single one of their four first round picks over the, uh, for the next four years at any point here 
in the offseason if they do come up short this year. The Boston Celtics, I said back in June, were positioned to potentially have their championship, you know, their championship window closing, their best chance to win a championship having passed them by. And it would appear that I was sorely mistaken because the Damian Lillard trade, even though he wouldn't go to Boston, the Damian Lillard trade itself has indirectly fueled Boston because Portland didn't get enough out of that deal to make it so that Boston... Well, first of all, I think everyone overvalued Marcus Smart a little bit. And maybe that's unfair because Marcus Smart is hurt right now. But it's it would appear people tremendously valued Marcus Smart higher than the Celtics did. And secondarily... They had the foresight to go get Drew Holiday and only give up one future first-round pick in order to make it happen, and I think that's just been a tremendous boost for the Boston Celtics. Giving up on those depth pieces to create a core six that is more talented than what they had in the previous iterations of the team and trusting that a Pritchard or a Hauser or a Cornette would be able to get them by. It seems to have had tremendous success for Boston because Boston this season is 40 to, uh, 47 and 12 in the regular season. They're going to be the first 60 win team in the NBA in over three seasons. And the Celtics right now, the Celtics have won Every single home game this season against an Eastern Conference team. They have not lost at home against a team in the Eastern Conference. They have not lost a regular season home game against an Eastern Conference team since last season when the Boston Celtics, a calendar year ago, Lost to, I believe, the Milwaukee Bucks. It's been almost a calendar year since the Boston Celtics lost a game against an Eastern Conference team on their home floor in the regular season. The Celtics are kicking ass, taking names, and are one of the best teams in the history of the NBA. Best offensive rating in the history of the sport. Best net rating in the sport in years. The Celtics are legitimately a the number one team in the NBA without question. Last year they were the number one regular season team in the league, but they ended up with the number two seed. And there were some question marks about just how good the Celtics would be when they got to the playoffs. And, you know, lo and behold, they came within one game of the finals. Didn't have to play Milwaukee. But they were the number one offensive rating, or sorry, they were the number one offensive rating and the number one net rating last year and still finished second in the Eastern Conference. And and remember, they, they went through the, the Ime Udoka firing and Missoula was being questioned for the midseason management. And some people were pointing out that last year Missoula was willing to let the Celtics kind of push through their problems and work it out on the floor. This year, they've worked out a lot of those problems and the Celtics look up right now and they have a team that is once again the number one offensive rating in the league despite the fact they moved off of three of their or two or three of their core players but their offensive rating is going to continue to excel because they have maybe the best offensive tandem Mm, shouldn't go that far they have one of the best offensive tandems in the NBA with Tatum and Brown If Brown isn't the best number two in the NBA, he's top three in terms of number two options 
Uh, I think probably LeBron is a true number two, which is crazy to think about. LeBron is probably the best number two. Kevin Durant's probably the best number two. And then you probably have Jalen Brown. But like Jalen Brown is absolutely great on the offensive end of the floor. The Celtics have had an incredibly efficient offense, the actually the most efficient in the history of the NBA. And there is no question this year they're the best team in the league because they're seven whole games better than the next closest team in the sport. They're seven whole games better. They are taking names. And this is probably the best Boston Celtic team that they have had since my lifetime. That's crazy to think about. I mean, they've only won one championship in my lifetime. They've only won one championship in the last 35 years. Basically, in the last 35 years, the Celtics and Raptors have had just about the same amount of success. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But the Boston Celtics, they are they are legitimately the best team in the NBA. There is no question about it. And despite the fact that we said back on June 1st, 2023, that A, the Boston Celtics were not a failure... And B, their best chance to win a championship had passed them by. It would appear we were very much correct about the first one in having the perspective to recognize just how incredible it was what the Celtics had done, not just the last two seasons, but the last seven when it came to four different cores of their team making a run to the Eastern Conference Final. Going back to 2017, Isaiah Thomas carrying them to the Conference Final. 2018, it was Kyrie Irving, Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, one game away from going to the NBA Finals. 2020, it was the the babies of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker leading that team in the bubble that got to the Eastern Conference Final. 2022 and 2023, it was the the strength in numbers eight-man core that we talked about with Tatum and Brown coming into their own, Marcus Smott, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Derek White. Brogdon, Brogdon, Robert Williams, that group that came together the last three years. And now, I mean, I don't know if it would be fair to say a different core, but a, a very different iteration of the Boston Celtics from last year has proven me wrong on the second mark that or the second point that we articulated last year in one of our more popular podcast episodes ever. I was right about the first one and having the perspective to recognize the Celtics were far from a failure despite the fact that they have not won a championship and did not get to the finals last year, losing to the 8 seed of Miami Heat. But on the second point, which was the ch- the best chance for the Boston Celtics to win a championship having passed them by, it would appear that we were incorrect in our prognostication of the Boston Celtics. The death of the Celtics, the closing of their window, was greatly exaggerated by us because they turned around and acquired Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis in exchange for four players and essentially one future first-round draft pick. And the results appear to be bearing out that the Celtics are not only a better regular season team with the highest net rating in the sport and the highest offensive rating in the history of the NBA, but additionally... They appear equipped for the playoffs in the same way that the 2021 Milwaukee Bucks were equipped for the playoffs when they themselves added Drew Holiday to a big three that included Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, Holiday, and Brooke Lopez. The one key difference I will point out, 
and this is the thing that always comes back to bite Boston, is that they do not have a top five player in the NBA. And yet they have given that top five player in the NBA, or I'm sorry, that top 10 player in the NBA in Jason Tatum, who doesn't quite fit into the Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker generation, but is also a little bit older than the Luka, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Zion Williamson, Ja Morant, Anthony Edwards baby generation that's about to enter their primes and start winning MVPs. Tatum, who bridges the gap between the two generations at no point in his career has ever been a top five player in the sport, he has been given the best supporting cast of any team in the NBA. And we find out this year, most likely, barring injury, whether or not the best supporting cast in the NBA will be good enough to elevate a second-tier star to an NBA championship. Because one of the tridest and true points about winning an NBA championship, the, the most consistent, constant of every NBA champion over the last 25 years is top three MVP finalist, top three player in the league leads that team. There's a there's a handful of examples we can point to otherwise. 2004 Pistons, hi, we see you. You're still here, even though the Pistons have been terrible for my entire lifetime. We see you, 2004 Pistons. There will always be a handful of examples. You need an MVP-level player to be the best player on a team that wins a championship. Tatum's gotten close. Devin Booker's gotten close, despite the fact that both of them have never been top five players in the league. I'd argue that maybe Devin Booker was a top five player in the league on the fringes in 2022, but that's besides the point. The bigger point is this. The thing that won the Milwaukee Bucks a championship when they had their core four, that a core four that looks impossibly similar to what the Celtics have assembled right now, when you talk about Giannis, Middleton, Holiday, and uh, Brooke Lopez... It's hard to not look at the Celtics of Tatum, Brown, Holiday himself as the number three, and Porzingis as the number four. You know, no longer an all-star, but still a center who shoots threes and blocks shots similarly to what Brooke Lopez brought to them in the championship team. It's hard to not look at the 2021 Bucks, look at the 2024 Celtics, not see the similarities. But then you remember that the 2021 Bucks won the championship because Giannis had 50 points and made 16 of 17 free throws in a Game 6. And playing on one leg, blocked DeAndre Ayton's shot in Game 4, and legitimately had the... uh, He he statistically had the second greatest NBA Finals of all time, according to to his his, um, uh, offensive and defensive ratings in in that six-game NBA Finals. And uh, I think win shares is the other statistic I've seen. His efficiency rating and win shares numbers puts it as like one of the greatest final performances of all time. That's what it took for the Bucks to win that 2021 championship. We'll see what happens with the core four of the Boston Celtics. Because Jason Tatum has gone for 50-point games in Game 7s. Tatum has been that dude in stretches before. But we don't think of Tatum as Prime Giannis, because Prime Giannis won a Defensive Player of the Year and two MVPs. We don't quite think of Tatum, who's won an All-Star Game MVP, and, like we said, has put up 50 points in playoff games, we don't quite think of Jason Tatum the same way we think of Giannis. And the reason the Bucks won that championship in 21 was Giannis. 
The reason the Celtics will win the championship this year is because, one, Jason Tatum will, over the next two years, become a top-five player in the NBA, which I think is still probable. Or, sorry, it's possible, improbable, yes, but also still possible. Tatum still has room to potentially grow in the right offense and all that stuff like that. Maybe there's maybe there's another step to his game where he goes from being the 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 ceiling of the sixth or seventh best player in the league. Because remember, I said two years ago Donovan Mitchell was better than Jason Tatum, and technically, according to efficiency rating, Donovan Mitchell is better than Jason Tatum this year. But that's neither here nor there. The bigger point is this: Jason Tatum is not Giannis, but Jason Tatum also has what I would argue is a stronger and better regular season supporting cast than any single team Giannis Antetokounmpo has had in his entire tenure with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I'm super curious to see what that looks like when the playoffs roll around, and potentially Giannis Antetokounmpo is the team facing off against Jason Tatum and this uh, this rough-shot-running Celtics team in the Eastern Conference Finals. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast Live on the Believe Podcast Network, we got episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Wired Ups pop up on Saturdays, Sundays, or anytime there's just some pressing story in sports that we really want to touch on. We talked about the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Western Conference on Monday. You might want to check out that podcast. Our college basketball crash course is coming up on Thursday. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, that episode is available. One episode above you on this podcast feed. We're going to have Razor Rosenthal join us. We're going to have... Our friend Blake Jew join us for some mock drafts as football season comes around. We're going to have some baseball topics. We're going to have friends of the show like Walter Mitchell and Juju Talk Sports and all of our wonderful wacky group of compadres around this fun and wacky podcast continue to join us all throughout the winter and into the spring as the NBA playoffs and such inch ever so close. Ever so close. Thank you for stopping in, everybody. We will talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.